going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Miles Russell. He's been on here before, about a year and a half ago he was on here, and we dove deep into how he's undergone his pretty impressive weight loss transformation. He's lost over 200 pounds. This time we didn't dive into that that much. We talked about life after the fact. What's it like after losing that much weight? How do you go through life? How do you go into a building phase and be okay seeing the scale go up? How do you put on muscle and embrace that? We also dove into... Uh, metabolism, hormones, calorie manipulation, uh, how to cut, how to build, loose skin. We talked about other passions that he's really involved in, such as hiking, some of his um, techniques behind that. All in all, it's a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Really like Miles. I really appreciate where he's coming from, his whole outlook on the matter. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Miles Russell. Miles Russell, we're live, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Good, man. Glad to hear. Last time we talked, it was about a year and a half ago. Is that what we said? Yeah, April of last year. April of last year. A lot has changed since then, man. A lot has. So give the, I mean, if anybody hasn't listened to that podcast, definitely do so. But we talked about how you've lost over 200 pounds and just kind of that whole life journey. So Give give the audience and give me kind of like a, a recap on just like a timeline of events bringing us up to now because I want to dive into what everything's like going on for you in life now. But give us like a brief timeline to bring people up to speed. Yeah, so just in case anybody ha- hasn't heard my story before, um, I was previously very overweight, obese. Um, I'm six foot five. And I got up to about 465 pounds um, and reached that. Uh, I think eight years ago, it was October of 2011 when I was in law school. Um, and that's when I went to the doctor and they told me, you know, you have all these um, bad biomarkers, high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol, um, high blood, you know, blood glucose, all of those things. And basically said, you know, you're going to die younger or <laughs> younger, you're gonna die young if you don't um, turn your life around. And they told me to try um, different diets. And after some trial and error, I discovered the ketogenic diet um, and lost 260 pounds over the next um, four or five years. And then um, I got down to my lowest in early 2017 and been kind of, you know, using ketogenic diet ever since. And we, we talked a lot about the mindset, if I remember correctly. We dove into the mindset and what it mm-hmm. was like to lose that much, how it affects you. And and since then, you've kind of transitioned more into like a, a building phase. And I know like I, every time I've had someone on the podcast that's lost a sub- substantial amount of weight, it's like a hard concept to wrap your mind around adding calories back in, building muscle tissue, and, and being okay with seeing the scale go back up especially since you've worked so hard for so long to have it go down. So kind of dive into, first of all, what what's the motivation behind doing that? Like why would you want the scale to go up in the first place? And uh, what that whole mentality has been around that? Yeah, so I, I just I just finished um, cutting after bulking starting last winter. And when I, I focused on, when I first uh, got on the ketogenic diet, I was basically trying to like save my life, like get, get my health back, you know, cure cure all of the negative things that happened um as a result of overeating and what came with that 
and so for for years i focused on losing weight and it wasn't just like a straight line right you know there were some setbacks and some relapses so to speak along the way but essentially i was in a deficit for years and in the winter of 2017 i got down to my lowest and at the time i didn't realize this but um my my girlfriend was worried about me she thought i was like way way too skinny I was, uh, you know, freezing cold all the time. I was weak. I lost a lot of strength because I had started weightlifting when I was losing weight. Um, but I lost a lot of strength and I, I reached a point where I realized, you know, you've, you've lost the majority of the weight, but what about like health and vitality? And I wanted to, to get some strength back, not only just to be capable and functional, but also cause you know, out of vanity, I wanted to have, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but I wanted a bigger butt. I wanted bigger biceps. I wanted bigger, bigger shoulders, you know, a bigger chest. I wanted to look like somebody who was strong. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I realized that my metabolism was really, really depressed. And I wanted to get that back up because when I was at my lowest, I think I was eating about 1800 calories a day. And as a six foot five man, that's not a lot of food. And I, I wanted to, to, to boost that back up. And I know that you kind of have to like, the more muscle you have, the more, the, the higher your metabolism is, the more food you can eat. And so I wanted to focus on kind of like health, not just the number on the scale anymore, but like getting stronger and healthier. So I decided, you know, I'm going to go on, um, kind of like a self-directed bulk and kind of see what I could do with it. I like it. I like it. I feel like that is such a key component that a lot of people just overlook. Um, I mean, I'm always preaching on the podcast, on my YouTube videos about having like a legitimate cutting phase and building phase. And I mean, if you take your calories down for a long period of time, you're, you're by default going to reset your metabolism at a lower rate. And that's can be done strategically and and useful, but you got to ramp that back up at some point or else you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So what, I mean, what did you do strategically speaking? Like, what did you start incorporating? Like to increase the calories, how'd you go about that without freaking out and seeing, because I mean, it's almost inevitable that you're going to lose some, or you're going to gain some body fat back mm-hmm. when you start increasing the calories, especially, especially if your metabolism is low to begin with and you start in, intaking more food, like you have to go through this phase of gaining a little bit of body fat to convince your body, okay, hey, food is not, you know, at a deficit anymore. We, we can, we can do more things with this besides just store this body fat. So how'd you get to that initial you know, weight gain that probably came with that and how'd you kind of wrap your head around making this sustainable? You know, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause I would say that, um, mentally it was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. And I, I know that sounds a little, a little bit extreme, but I mean, after, after like focusing so long on the scale staying down, right. Getting leaner and leaner and leaner, like watching it go back up was, was really, really, it was difficult to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so what I went into it with, the idea of, okay, I want to, I want to, I did a bunch of research, you know, just about anything like, oh, what, what everyone online was saying about what's the best way to approach a bulk. And it wasn't just like go off the rails and eat whatever you want, but it was, you know, slowly ramp your, your calories up. Like the, you don't want too much of a surplus because then you're going to put on extra body fat. And if you're gaining more than a certain amount of like, you know, X amount of weight per week, you're probably going too hard on the calories and food because your body can only put on so much muscle in a given period of time, assuming you're natural, right? Right. Um, uh, and so that, that, that was like the idea, right? Go into this, not like, isn't all you can eat kind of like, you know, binge, but try to do it with control. 
Um, and I focused on powerlifting and I found, um, some different plans on, on online and focused on one that was, you know, built around high volume, high frequency, um, with the big lifts, the squat, the, the deadlift, the bench press, the military press pull-ups. And I decided I'm going to make, you know, weight, weightlifting a priority, sleep a priority, getting, um, nutrition a priority and go from there. Um, but I would say like when you are, um, when you're in like a, a depleted state and you first start adding more food back, the scale jumps up pretty quickly because you have more water, you got more food, you probably have more salt. And so the scale kind of went back up like five pounds, like overnight. And then it slowly started going up and that was kind of disconcerting. But, you know, honestly, the hard part about it was, you know, cause at the same time I was like, okay, I got to focus on what, what are the positives I can take away from this? And it was like getting stronger in the gym every day. You know, it was like seeing my my um, my body kind of grow because like looking at the scale, it's kind of like, oh, oh, I'm up a pound. I'm up half a pound here. I'm up half a pound there. And it's really kind of, you know, depressing, to be honest, when you when that's been a negative for so long, you kind of have to turn that negative sign into a positive sign. Um, but the hard part was you, you kind of get used to, you know, your what, what you look like in the mirror what your clothes fit like. And then once your clothes stop fitting, you start to feel fat and then you start to feel kind of negative about your body. And that's really difficult to overcome that like negativity. So that's why I dealt with. It's, it's a strange thing, man. Cause like a lot of people, even if they haven't lost a significant amount of weight, if they just work really hard to get lean, I mean, honestly, not even if they haven't done that, just people in general, like people like to see the scale go down, like point blank. Mm -hmm. That's what they like to yeah. see. And it's funny because it's hard to, you know, I mean, there's there's so much more, it, it's so much more multifaceted than just the scale weight alone. Like I, I remember when I was, uh, you know, way back in the day eating a bunch of carbs and, you know, bro dieting and trying to bulk. And my, my goal was just to get huge. So I would get like freaking excited every time I saw the scale go up. You know, at the time I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just muscle, but in all honesty, it was just total fat. Like I was eating everything you're not supposed to be eating and it was just not <laughs> a good weight gain. But people have this negative relationship with the scale and I mean, you stop and think about overall composition. That's why I'm a huge fan of, you know, doing like in-body scans, DEXA scans, taking pictures, taking measurements and getting these other stats besides just the scale weight alone, because, you know, it's, it's good information to have. I encourage people to use the scale, but you got to look at other variables and other, other specifics than just that alone, or else you're just going to discourage yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, that's what I told myself. I was like, I need to focus on what, what are the metrics, you know, are my lifts going up? Am I getting stronger? Um, making progress because the scale was only one metric, like you said, and you, I feel like we, we put a lot of value on it, you know, like these numbers are arbitrary, but in our head, we feel like, Oh, this is the number I should be at. If that makes sense. Um, and I was still dealing with the fact that when I lost a lot of weight, I had like loose skin. So, you know, maybe the number on the scale isn't an accurate representation of what, you know, I should be at if assuming I didn't have that loose skin. Yeah. The, the loose skin, I mean, how did how does that change with regard to like going into a bulking phase? Like, does the the increased I'm assuming the increased muscle tissue and some a little some additional body fat helps fill that out and makes it less prominent, right? Yeah, no, it, it does. Um, I think unfortunately, like I wasn't really. I mean, I'm I'm in my early 30s now. I mean, I don't think that's old, but I feel like if you lose if you gain a lot of weight and lose a lot of weight when you're relatively young, like, like, you know, a teenager or a young adult, your skin is far more elastic than when you get older. But when you're my age and 
the, the, the age I was when I lost a lot of weight, my, my loose skin didn't really shrink. It didn't go away. Um, so I still have a, a good chunk of it. That said, though, like uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bulk in the first place. I wanted to fill out my, my body more. Um, and adding muscle definitely did that. Um, and you could see that like in my arms and my legs. But I still have a good amount of loose skin um, in my stomach. And that's one of the things that was kind of surreal is when I, before I started my bulk, I got a DEXA scan and I went down, I came back with 10%. And I was like, wow, that's like mind blowing because I can't really see my abs. And a lot of my friends are like, well, that's because you have so much loose skin. You know, you have abs. It's just that you, you don't, you don't have that kind of like super tight skin that like uh, someone who's never been fat, you know, is, is blessed with. And so you maybe you, you have to be realistic about what your, your body's going to look like in the mirror. Is there, I mean, I get asked all the time about loose skin, like ways to, like remedies for basically how do you minimize it how do you get rid of it and I, th- I think if i remember correctly when we talked on our last podcast you said hey i'm proud of my loose skin you know it's like a battle scar and i, I really appreciated that outlook because it it i mean you lost the weight you that's just kind of a illustration of what your body went through and you have to embrace that in order to like go forward in life but for people that are just totally, I think they just need to change their mindset first. I feel like that's first and foremost. But for just like a practical standpoint of what you can do with loose skin, is there anything for loose skin or is that something you just have to kind of accept? Well, so, yeah, so I, I think first off, it is true. Like I, I definitely, I, I, I tried to own my loose skin, if that makes sense. Um, is it, does my body look perfect? No. But I think what I've told one of my friends um, recently is like, I'm not entitled to a perfect body. You know, like I did not treat my body very well for years and that this is the result of, of that treatment. And so I'm not entitled to have the same body as somebody who's always healthy, who always um, was in shape, if that makes sense. I don't, I'm not entitled to look like, like a ripped bodybuilder. I'm entitled to look like somebody who, you know, was really fat and then lost a lot of weight. And I have the scars to show for it. Um, I don't, I don't like love the fact that I have loose skin, but it's, it's just who I am. And so I've, I've tried to own that and embrace it. Um, my body doesn't look perfect, but I think it looks pretty good for, for what it's gone through. And it's, I, I feel like I look strong and capable, but I think a lot of people are self-conscious about that, right? They're worried about, um, loose skin. If someone was worried about that as a reason not to lose weight, well, the loose skin is much better than being overweight and unhealthy. So I wouldn't let that stop me. Um, but I think, as far as remedies go, the only one I know of or seen scientific evidence that backs up is surgery. You know, surgery will remove it. There's a lot of talk out there about, oh, can you fast and, you know, do extended fasting and autophagy and, and will that get rid of your loose skin? Well, maybe, but I haven't seen the evidence that that really helps. I think beyond um, surgery or letting just time pass, you can wear compression clothing, but I've never really been into that. Like, my, I don't have that much loose skin so that I feel uh, like self-conscious, but I definitely don't have a perfect body and it is what it is. There was that one guy that fasted for like 384 days or something crazy. And I never saw pictures of him, but I heard that his skin shrunk, uh, you know, as he, as he went through it, but I'm assuming he still had quite a bit of loose skin, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when you're not eating food for that period of time and your, your body is really into autophagy to make sure that you have like adequate cell function, that's a little bit different than say, I'll go on extended fast as a normal person. But I still think that that person had loose skin because I think you're, 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 you're when you, like when you are morbidly obese, you have pounds of skin and your body can't just destroy that. 
um, from what I've seen. But I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert. I haven't seen all the studies. I mean, it makes it makes sense that like I, it doesn't like me just realistically thinking it makes no sense to be able to to have that much extra weight that you're carrying around and then lose it and then expect your skin to just kind of act like it never happened. I mean, it makes sense that there would be some kind of recourse for that, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things people also don't uh, realize is it's not just loose skin, it's fat cells. So your your fat cells are more or less permanent or they're, they, they're very long-lived, right? They don't just um, die when you lose weight, they empty. And in fact, like, I'm sure if there's a lot of people out there listening to this who are formerly overweight, you can gain and lose a lot of water relatively easy once you went we a couple of my friends we like to call it camel mode we feel like we have like a lot of cells that can store water and so when you lose weight um it's my understanding you still have a bunch of fat cells they're just empty um and they take up some some space and they're they're like attached to the skin and so like my my stomach it's not just loose skin there's like some there's like empty fat cells in there too that are kind of there until they die which you know takes a long long time so basically just time is your your ultimate ally when it comes to you know, minimizing your, your skin, having it tighten basically over time, just roll with it and obviously train and build as much, you know, good muscle tissue and composition as you can, but just kind of be accepting of it as it is and let for time to pass. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like, so, you know, it it sounds like a cliche, but like you, you kind of have to like, you know, learn to love yourself internally rather than like focus on, on like the external qualities. And so if like, if you can't like, and I don't mean to not want to change yourself for the better, but at some, at some point you kind of have to like think of like other things like, Oh, I'm strong. I'm capable. I've been able to do these things rather than, Oh, I look so perfect. Right. Because that's fleeting. You're going to age. You know, if you put all, all your value on like what you look like in the mirror, what happens when you get older and you age, you know, time will pass. You won't look always young. You won't always look like a model. You know, you're, you want to have muscle for your entire life. So you got to find something else that's like where you're putting your sense of self-worth on or else your long-term mental health will suffer. Totally agree. Totally agree. What um, was your nutrition like as you were losing the weight and, and then here as you've been increasing the muscle mass? So um, when I was f- first doing um, – like trying to lose weight, it was kind of just like the, the very standard, uh, low carb diet, right? Just keep, um, tracking net carbs, keeping net carbs around 20, 25, maybe 30, and then keeping calories in a deficit. And so I just calculated my TDEE, you know, uh, based on an online calculator, it said from a man, my size, it's about 2,200, um, as a BMR. And so I just cut my calories 500 below that and just kind of stuck them there. And I didn't really focus too much on protein or fat ratios. I just kind of, um, you know, looked at my fitness pal back then, looked at the pie chart. And as long as the pie chart looks right and my calories were, were, were coming in at my goal, that's kind of how I did it. I didn't really, um, focus on like higher fat or higher protein. Maybe if I, I had like a lot of chicken one day, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of chicken and a lot of protein. I should like think about balancing it out over the week. But I was mostly focused on the calories. And that 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 worked um, and was able to lose weight. I mean, there were stalls along the way. And, you know, every now and then I'd try switching things up. But it wasn't like super dialed in, if that makes sense. So when and you, then, oops, yeah. Let me interrupt you. When, you. when you dropped the 500 calories below your BMR, did you drop it again any after that or did you just do that single drop of 500 
and then let it sit with there for you to lose the entirety of that weight? I so like I didn't for the first couple of years I didn't track calories. I just kind of tracked carbs mentally, right? I think a lot of people call that like lazy keto on the internet. And that and I did that before that phrase kind of even even existed because I just didn't have, you know, uh, I had never I hadn't discovered like the tracking apps on my phone at that point. I just kind of knew that oh these are the foods that have carbs in them and kind of mentally keeping track of it. And then that worked for the first like hundred or so pounds. And then I I realized oh you know I got to kind of dial in a little bit more because I'm stalling out. And so that's my I, I put my fitness pal on my phone dialed in what my BMR was allegedly and then just cut the calories from there and kept them there the whole time until I lost the weight. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then now that you've, you know, everything you know about keto, what do you do to kind of like manipulate composition and tweak things now? I mean, are you tracking more, uh, strategically or are you, are you still staying pretty instinctive with it? No, no. And I mean, right. I mean, right now I just, after, uh, well, first, um, I when I went into the bulk, I I said okay, what 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 are my maintenance calories? I'm just gonna add like you know I'm gonna try adding 250 calories a week or 500 calories um, like you know like in like little chunks. I don't I'm not just gonna like add all the food or eat whatever I want. I'm gonna try to slowly add calories back in, and then in my head I don't know where I got these numbers from. It was all kind of just you know do my own calculations um, based on what I was reading online. I was like, maybe I'll I'll raise my calories up to up to about three thousand, maybe a little a little higher than that. Um, and I was looking at just the various different like calculators on the internet that tell you kind of like what to put in for bulking, right? I think I might have even looked at the one from the 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 Keto Savage website too. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And so I just I, I I that was that was the plan. The plan was just to kind of slowly um, kind of titrate up. And so I started. Um, increasing the volume in the gym and then I realized man I'm really hungry <laughs> and it became harder to kind of stick to the slow gradual increase and so it started with maybe a couple hundred calories and before I knew it I was basically at like 2,900 3,000 calories and so I kind of just went there um, sooner rather than later um, so I started my bulk in like I want to say late December of 2018 and my goal was to, to like, you know, maybe do three months, three or four months. And so I start, I started there and then kind of ended in, um, April. And by April I was eating about 3,000, 3,300 calories a day. And I was doing it basically stick, staying, staying basically the classic ketogenic, ketogenic approach. I was trying to keep my, my net carbs in the like, you know, 20, 25. And again, not focusing so much on protein to fat ratios, um, I, I had this theory in my head that it's probably better to bulk with more protein cause you probably need more protein to build muscle, but I wasn't going out of my way to eat like high protein, like low fat, if that makes sense. Totally. Mostly totally. just mostly, mostly, I mean, I, I mostly a kind of a carn carnivorous kind of diet. So mostly eating a lot of steak and meat, but I wasn't just like, Oh, I got to eat lean protein, um, or eat really fatty protein and just keep my carbs low. The same approach I did before, but eat more food. I like it. I, what, what? This, there's two questions. Uh, actually, before I get into that, I'm going to ask you another question about this. Uh, did you track your uh, like lean muscle gained and, and fat tissue gain throughout this? Like, so during the course of the bulk, do you have any idea how much uh, fat relative to lean mass and vice versa you gained? Yeah. So I, I got a DEXA scan uh, the, the, basically the month before I started my bulk. 
and I was at, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I was at 10% body fat and I started at, um, about 218 pounds. Um, and I'm six foot five just for reference. And I, when I stopped, I didn't get it. Unfortunately, I didn't get a DEXA scan when I was done bulking right at my highest body weight. So I got up to about two, two fifty six, two fifty seven, you know, mm-hmm. around that range. So I put on about, you know, 35 pounds. Um, I did not get a DEXA scan when I got to my heaviest. I don't know why I just, for some reason didn't work out scheduling wise with what's available to me locally, but I got a DEXA scan, um, a little over a month ago. And that's when I had already been working like to cut back down. What and, was your weight when you get a DEXA scan? Uh, uh, when I got my DEXA scan about a month ago, yeah, um, uh, I want to say two two thirty, like okay. two twenty eight, two thirty. Um, so I already lost about you know like twenty twenty five pounds, and that DEXA scan showed me about twelve percent body fat, and I had put on a pound of muscle in my upper body, and more than a pound of muscle in my lower body, and they DEXA scan is also uh, for people who don't know how it works it's kind of like a like a x-ray you like lay down they like scan your body and the thing about it is that the, the it's it's pretty it's pretty pretty accurate i think you're aware of how accurate it can be right yeah it's pretty much like the gold standard right now yeah it is it's like the gold standard but the thing is it can be kind of manipulated by how like your your hydration is yeah and so the dexa scan that i got the first time i got it done in the afternoon and the second one i got it done in the morning so it wasn't like the exact same time of day and so the person doing it was like, oh, so if you had more water or less water, if you're a little bit more dehydrated now, it may underestimate your muscle. And if you were more hydrated the first time, it may overestimate your muscle. So just think about that. But it did show I put on you know, a good chunk of muscle on both, both parts of my body, which was really um, um, awesome, honestly. And what was your, uh, so what was your caloric intake roughly when you got that second DEXA versus what was it when you got that first? So when I when I, um, so when I got my first exit back in, in December, that's when I was like starting my bulk. I was eating about 2,200 calories a day. Um, and when I, cause I'm, I was in the middle, in the middle of cutting when I got my, um, my second exit. And so I was, you know, probably eating around 2000 calories, a little bit, maybe a little bit less, but my, based on my tracking of it, my metabolic rate was much higher. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's the coolest thing about it, man. Like I, I love seeing people who are able to basically reset their baseline caloric intake, metabolic rate, uh, compositional point at a higher and better level each time while consuming more calories. I mean, that's, that's the coolest thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, what's awesome. I mean, my metabolism is, is probably a little bit slowed down right now because of, of, of cutting, you know, but I'm, I'm entering back into, you know, reversing out and then, probably going back to maintenance. I'm not sure I'm going to ready to go back into, into bulking relatively so soon. My goal is to get my metabolism higher, you know, reset it higher. So that way I'm, I'm have more of, you know, like you say runway, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So when did you finish your, your latest cut? Um, well right now we're, um, we're at my, probably my lowest calories and then I'm going to work on reversing back up slowly. Cause I don't want, you know, before, like I said, when I first, um, both with cutting and bulking, it was just kind of like haphazard, which is cut calories out, right? And this time I'm focusing on slowly going back up so I don't like just go off the rails, kind of like someone does after a bodybuilding show, you know? Yeah, you don't want that. 
um, with, with you doing, because you're doing DSK for your cut now, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. What, I mean, give me, give, uh, uh, I just out of curiosity, I, I know the guy that, that made the course, so I'm kind of curious to get some feedback <laughs> on it. Um, what, uh, what's your take on doing like the really low carb intake and, and high total fat ratio relative to other macronutrients? Do you feel good considering, I mean, obviously you're going to be hungry because you're at a low caloric intake, but considering uh you know the variables relative to what you felt like at the other cut when you were just basically doing a lazy keto approach how would you compare and contrast the two so i I know this is going to sound like hyperbole um but the the phrase i'm going to use is game changer like literally it's been eye-opening and it's been like it's just been i don't know kind of shocking how 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 good and how different i felt doing that kind of protocol um, and I'm not going to say it's been all sunshine and rainbows, right? But it's been a, a completely eye-opening experience, to say the least. Um, I'll, and I can run through the pros and cons really quickly. Um, but I would say with the pros, like, so a lot of people talk about, like, ke- the ketogenic diet being really good for, like, mental clarity and, like, mood and, like, anxiety and all those things. I'm not sure if you've heard people talk about that. But oh, yeah. people have talked about how, how they just feel better, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I first, uh, it, it, maybe it's been, it's been such a long time, so I don't really remember what I felt like before, but I definitely felt better when the first time I went keto and, and, I, and generally feel better when I stay in a ketogenic diet. Cause you know, I'm not one of those people who, you know, who's keto for life, right? Like I've gone on vacation and, and gone off and had carbs and felt sick and all that stuff. And so I know what I, what it's like to be in and out of ketosis, right? And I know that I feel better when I'm in ketosis, but I never felt amazing. You know, some people talk about feeling amazing, like this, like kind of clarity and this focus. And so when I started doing the DSK macros, I was eating like 80 percent fat. And I never in my life have had a fat ratio that high. And if no, if people haven't done that, you can't do that. Like you can't do that without trying. Right. There's no food you can really eat that gets you automatically to that ratio. Like maybe pork belly comes close, but you can't just eat a fatty steak and get 80% fat, if that makes sense. You kind of have to go out of your way to add fat, you know, mm-hmm. you know, from other sources. And so I never really did that, right? I was just kind of like, oh, I'll eat a steak, I'll have some hamburger, maybe I'll have some, like, cheese or mayo, but I'm not going on my way to, like, hit a fat macro, you know? I was just, like, trying to make sure I didn't go over or under calories. So I had to change my approach to hit a certain fat ratio. And when my fat was, like, like 80%, I just felt so much better. Like, I don't know how to put it into words, but you get this sense of like clarity and focus and this, this good mood that I never had experienced before. And I was like, Whoa, there's like something to this. Um, and when I first started, my calories are really high for what, uh, for what I was used to, like, you know, so that's a lot of, a lot of fat, like a lot of just grams of fat. And so it was weird at first getting used to like how that felt in my stomach, like digestion wise, But over the first month, like my digestion improved, like, you know, like my GI was really good. I felt good. I slept good. Um, So it was just like it just made me feel a lot better than I was before. And I I was actually kind of shocked. I would say the con was is that, you know, I like Quest bars. Yeah, (laughs) I like I like those things. And when you cut your your carbs that low and start tracking um, total carbs, not net carbs, you either learn to spend them on things that are more valuable, so to speak, or have like, you know, small servings. And so you kind of have to kind of get out of like the, 
I can have whatever I want as long as it fits my macros approach and kind of get more bang for your buck. And so that was definitely a challenge. You know, it still is a challenge because, you know, I haven't had a Quest Bar in a long time, but in the back of my mind, I really want a Quest Bar. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's kind of, I don't know, man. I, I've looked at so many different, you know, protocols. I've played around with so many different types of diets. And I feel like DSK and, and like just my coaching principles as a whole is unique in that, I mean, even if the primary goal is to lose body fat, I mean, everybody else titrates fat down. Like they leave protein high and mm-hmm. they keep fat down the, the the theory is you know if you have body fat to lose then you don't need to be taking in much dietary fat here you are consuming 80 percent of your calories from fat and you're losing body fat and it's like people just can't really wrap their head around that so it's cool that it works because it's so counter to everything people have been taught um, and i like being a contrarian in a sense so with you doing that do you, I mean, it's, it's totally normal to lose some muscle as you decrease calories. I mean, metabolism does slow down a little bit. Hormones take a little bit of a hit. But all in all, generally speaking, do you feel like you've lost a significant amount of muscle as you've decreased well, calories? I, I don't think so. I mean, and like my DEXA scan showed that I, ha- I have more muscle than when I started, even though that was taken towards the end of my cut. But like I like and this may sound ridiculous, but. So I've been, I, I kind of do like a powerlifting approach in the gym, right? I lift heavy and I do like, you know, the big lifts. I was setting PRs until last week in the gym. Like last week was the first time um, I've failed on a lift. I failed on a bench press. But, you know, I haven't lost much strength on any lift the entire time I've been cutting. So, and and that's with like, you know, last week my protein was at 60 grams, 60 grams of protein. <laughs> it's like mind blowing. And I, and I've, and I was able to squat, set a squat PR on 60 grams of protein. You know, it's, it's cool. I mean, I sound, I sound like I'm just trying to sell the thing because I made the course. So I feel like, like I'm just trying to oversell it, but it is the coolest thing to, to see your protein drop slow. I mean, my protein got down to 65 grams, uh, during my peak week for my last competition. And I was hitting PRs during peak week. I mean, that's unheard of. And here you are at 60 grams, and you're six foot five. And how much you weigh now? You said 230. Um, uh, I'm 220, 226 right now. 226. That's my last weight. Yeah. You're hitting PRs at 60 grams of protein. I mean, you just don't get that anywhere else. Like that is freaking awesome. Yeah, it was just it was mind blowing to me because you know I'm not like a I'm not super like you know deep into the weeds with with bodybuilding, but it goes contrary to everything I've been taught about protein. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like solidly in, in like one camp or believe in like dogma, but you know, uh, uh, what's really popular online when I got into keto was the keto gains approach where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, make protein the priority, you know, fat is just kind of there for satiety and the, the DSK approach runs contrary to that completely. But like it's, it's works for me. I know from just experience, like it, it's, you don't need that much protein to build muscle and keep your strength. And it's been eye opening. Yeah. And, and I don't know, man, like it's, it is counter to so much that's out there, but you're not like the, the outlier. I mean, I've been able to replicate that. I've had my clients replicate that. There's been lots of people that have gone through DSK and illustrated that like it works. And, you know, regardless of what the traditional dogma says, like I'm going to do what works and that freaking works. Um, I think like if you were to break down the mechanics of it, I think the, I mean, honestly, the main reason, you know, traditional bodybuilders, bodybuilders and bro dieters leave protein so high is because protein is basically 
you know, anti-catabolic. If you're trying to mm-hmm. lose body fat, you're taking down calories, you want to sustain and maintain as much muscle mass as possible. It's going to keep your metabolism higher, et cetera, et cetera. And the argument is, you know, if you keep protein high, you're going to be able to sustain that muscle mass for longer. But my argument is, look, if you're in a keto-adapted state and you're truly keto-adapted and you keep your fat ratio that high, like 78% plus, then you're going to be deep, deep, deep into ketosis. And ketones are more anti-catabolic than carbs and protein alone. So, like, you're going to feel better, you're going to perform better, you're not stripping your body of the primary energy source because you're keeping that fat ratio high. It just seems like a like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting because, um, so I, while I was cutting too, I um, was training a lot this summer and this fall for hiking because that's my main, like, hobby, um, at least, like, exercise-related hobby. And I did two of the... I guess the most challenging hikes in my entire life um, while doing these macros with relatively low protein. And I felt like my inflammation was lower. I was able to recover better. Um, I was able to, to do these hikes in a very like ketogenic state, like a fat adapted state, if you will. And it was just kind of eye opening to me. Um, but I think, I don't know, like right now my, with my calories being lower, I definitely feel like my recovery is a little bit slower in the gym. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like, like I'm a little bit more in pain, not like in pain, but you know, a little bit more sore these yeah, past couple weeks. I, I think that's just because of less food. You know what I mean? Like you can't just, you can't, it's hard to get stronger and recover when your calories are low. Right. Totally. But, but I, I, you know, like there's, you see on the internet, like the, like the leg day meme where everyone's like, Oh, like me after leg day. And it's like, you know, some sort of person who can't walk or they're in lots of pain. I've always felt, um, even before doing the DSK macros that like when, when I'm keto, my inflammation is lower, but with the higher fat ratio, I noticed less inflammation and that I felt like less in pain after working out. So for me, like I said, it's, it was like, it's a game changer. It's something I feel like I'm always going to be biased towards just from having gone through it myself. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's cool, man. It, it makes me happy to know that it works and, and has been a game changer for you because that just gives me some, some solid foundation to stand on knowing that it it's improving people's lives in some form or fashion. So that that's good. It makes my day. Um, well, yeah. Well, I mean, cause I want, I mean, I, I do want to say, I mean, cause I, I've done, I've, I've cut both ways now, right. Kind of just keeping your, your, your calories low and not focusing on macros and then doing it the DSK way where you focus on a ratio. And I feel at the end of the day, you can lose weight both ways. Right. But, I feel like this has given me more insight into what's optimal for my body, if that makes sense, not just what's optimal for weight loss. Totally, and that, that's honestly one of my biggest uh, frustrations with a large part of the you know, flexible dieting, if it fits your macros community. It's like all the emphasis is placed on uh, you know, just calories. Like There's very little significance put towards where those calories are coming from and the nutrient density and quality of those calories. And when you're in a depleted in a depleted state and you're low in calories, like your body picks up on that kind of stuff. Like it, it basically gives you real time feedback. And if you're putting oh, yeah. in crap, you're gonna feel like crap. No, no, it does. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's it's been like so, like these past few weeks where my macros have been the lowest, right? I've noticed like I can feel my body responding to food. You know what I mean? Like in different ways. And, and like what gives me energy and what gives me some satiety, if that makes sense. You know, again, I'm not trying to, 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 to shamelessly promote, you know, you and your endeavors, but like the keto brick has been something I've used a lot 
is part of like the DSK macros, right? Because it, it just fits the macro goals really, really well, right? And I can feel like how my body responds to a high fat meal like that, or when I have something like pork belly, um, where there's just a high ratio of fat to protein. Like I just feel like that gives my body some vitality when it's been depleted. You know, I just notice my body like how it responds after those meals and how I feel mentally. And see, that's that's cool because like you you become so much more in tune with your body, and when you you can't really get that feedback when you're in more of a maintenance or a surplus mode. Like you just, you just can't like your body's just not giving that real time feedback. So you kind of have to make judgments based off of a, if you've been there before and you know with experience how your body feels or basically b what the internet tells you. And that's why I'm a, such a huge fan of going through a prep at least once in your life and feeling that because you get so in tune with your body and you just know with certainty how your body responds to certain foods, certain stimuli, et cetera, et cetera. And with that knowledge, you can take that forward, you know, years and years going forward, even if you never do another competition in the day in your life. But just simply getting that information in real time is powerful. Yeah, for me, it's just really shown me I've learned what foods give me more satiety, what foods give me more energy, which foods um, just kind of digest well. Um, and it, and it really, it really has been eye-opening. It's just, it's just been interesting. It's just, it's like kind of going through this kind of, it's somewhat of an extreme approach, right? When you have your macros so low, you just learn a lot about your body and how it responds. Yeah, everything. I mean, it's kind of like all we can, we can totally make a mindset shift here, but it really goes back to the whole concept of, you know, growth happens once you get out of your comfort zone, and you're not going to be able to experience this if you're eating at a healthy you know, satisfying, full feeling worth of food. I mean, you have to really push the envelope to get this. And there's there's a lot of, you know, not risk, but there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with that. But the reward is so much greater. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I feel like for me, the hard part, of, you know, the hard part about this whole thing has been, it's been more mental, right? Like I've I've gone through weight loss before and I know, you know, what hunger feels like. Um, and I know what it feels like to feel deprived. Um, but going through like kind of, I'm not like prepping to get on stage. Right. But the protocol is, is the same protocol, right? The same protocol you use for mm-hmm. bodybuilding is the same one, you know, we use for DSK to kind of cut weight and it is a little bit more extreme and you do, I've noticed that it, it's so much of it is a mental battle, right? You, you start to think, Oh, I don't have enough food or I'm never going to have X, Y, or Z again, or I won't be, I won't. I won't be satisfied with this. And that's like your brain fighting with you. And I feel like when you have, obviously you're going to be hungry no matter, no matter how much fat you're eating, right? Because your body wants calories. But I've noticed that when my fat's relatively high and my protein's relatively low, um, it's easier to, to stay full. You know, and I would say that it's been easier to be satisfied with less food with these macros than, than just focusing on calories alone. Because for me, fat is more satiating. And that's not true for everybody. Some people report that protein is more satiating for them. But at least for me, fat keeps me fuller for longer. And so I've really come to, to figure out, like, oh, when is it my brain telling me, oh, out of emotions or fear that I need more food versus my body saying you actually need more food to function? You know, you get more in tune with the physical hunger versus the emotional hunger. Totally. And what's, what's even more beyond just the satiety uh, aspect is, like, how you your your mental clarity like when it comes to when you're that low in calories you're going to be hungry no matter what diet you're following like there's only so much satiation you're going to get and most of the time mm-hmm. you're just never going to have that satisfied feeling but you can either b 
be unsatisfied and hungry in like a total zombie state, or you can be unsatisfied and hungry in like this total like zen clarity, like crisp state. And I I definitely prefer prefer the latter. Yeah, and I would say like for me, my experience has been. Um, so I mean, I, I I'm an attorney, and I I need my brain to function right. I go to court, I have to argue, and I have to like you know like handle stressful situations. And for me, as my macros got lower, I focused more on like front loading my, my nutrition to make sure I had like uh, like food in the morning and I would, I would be able to, you know, I've never had a problem feeling like burnt out or sluggish during the daytime at work, you know? So I would, I would usually wake up, go to the gym and then have like a nice big meal. And I like, I'm, I like when my, my macros get low to kind of do OMAD just because I, if I feel like I snack on small things, I don't feel satisfied all day. And I learned that my body responds better to kind of having a larger meal you know, within that framework. And so kind of having a larger meal and maybe a smaller second meal in the morning, I felt amazing, lots of energy, lots of clarity. And then I, by, by, by like nighttime, you get tired because, you know, when you don't have a lot of calories, you just get tired. So by like seven or eight, you know, you just kind of like, okay, it's time for bed. Did you start throwing in miracle rice and, and some of those filler foods? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, talking to some other people who've done Who've, who've done um, these kind of macros like um, Mike Gorman, Gorman Goes Keto, and following along with Brandon Clark, you know, who mm-hmm. was doing the the cut for the NACA competition. You know, you need some some miracles. Well, you don't need some, but every now and then you want some volume. You know, you want like a bigger meal to kind of stretch your stomach out. And that's the thing about, about uh, this protocol, right? When you're focusing on fat, right, getting that like higher fat ratio, you just have less volume because fat is more caloric, right? So a fattier piece of meat isn't going to be as big as a lean piece of meat. Like you can get like a giant chicken breast and it's, you know, several hundred calories, you know, but if that was beef, it's a thousand calories, you know? Right. And so you, you, you get less physical volume and you're focusing more on nutrient density. And, and, you know, that's all well and good because I can still eat some pork belly, which is relatively small and then feel like, oh, I'm getting some energy from this. But every now and then you want something like big, like a big voluminous meal, like a salad. And Miracle Rice or Miracle Noodles has been like, you know, um, kind of like a hunger hack. You can make soup with it. You can make like sweet things with it. Like one of my favorite things is making mixing Miracle Rice with some coconut cream um, and maybe some cinnamon and some stevia. Because I like I, I'm not like everybody kind of like figures out what way they want to add fat to their approach. Like some people like mayo, some people like butter, some people like, you know, oils or whatever. I'm not really so much into fatty coffee like some people. So I don't like for me, it didn't give me a lot of satiety to like drink fatty coffees, but coconut cream was a good way of adding fat. And it's delicious when you add a little bit of cinnamon to it. And then you add the meal for rice and you get this kind of like this, this rice pudding. And I thought that was a really good meal. I feel like the, like as calories get lower and you're in like a contest prep or you're in a cut and you're like really scratching your brain trying to figure out all these crazy hunger hacks and what you can do to satisfy i mean that's the closest guys will be able to get to pregnant women with these crazy cravings (laughs) because we do some weird things (laughs) to satisfy that urge (laughs) yeah exactly it's you gotta you you, every now and then you just want you want to feel full or you want to feel like you know like you want a sweet meal or you want a soup or you want you know you get you you get cravings for for things you never thought you crave you know and that's and that's coming from somebody who really misses stuff like like quest bars and like you know keto snacks my cravings kind of changed um throughout the approach now that you're you're about to start reverse dieting do you feel like you're going to have any like do you just 
your gut instinct, do you feel like you're going to have a like a relapse or like any negative rebound or anything like that from going from a such a depleted state to bringing the calories back in, or do you feel like you're you know seasoned enough, so to speak, that you'll be able to do so in a healthy, sustainable manner? Um, I think uh, I would say like I'm 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 trying to be mindful and realistic because so when your macros get low, you do do some refeeds, right? And for the majority of all my refeeds, I've been able to kind of stick with with the with my goals. You know, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not a robot. And every now and then I've had like, oh, you know, this this is how many of my what my calories are going to be for today and overshoot it by a couple hundred because you get a little bit eager because it's like, oh, it's my refeed. I'm never sure. I'm not sure. What, you know, like that that scarcity mentality kind of creeps in mm-hmm. like your brain's like, oh, man, you got to get food because you're not sure when you're going to have food again. And that's not really the reality, right? There's always going to be more food later in the future. But when you're when you're so deprived, your brain gets that kind of like that fear. You know what I mean? Um, and so using that um, experience, I know that when you start to reverse back up, like in the in the past, I'd be like, okay, I'm done, done dieting. Now I can add all the food back in, right? But I know that um, when you've been depleted so long, if you add a bunch of food back, your body can just start storing fat relatively quickly. Like, um, I don't know if you heard of um, Lane Norton. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Lane he, 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 <laughs> yeah, Lane Norton. He um, and some other people on, on the fitness community have presented a lot of research that after bodybuilders finish their shows, their bodies in like peak peak mode to store store and actually create new fat cells Mm -hmm. and so if you just go off the rails you can come back um with more fat and then that sets you back if you're trying to to compete again in the future you'll come back um with more fat and you won't be as as defined for your next show and so the the goal should be to like kind of sustainably get back to a, a baseline and so i i'm very mindful of that as a risk and so i'm not gonna let that 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 scare me you know, but I'm going to make sure that I do it as, as controlled as possible. I think the main thing, I think that's definitely more of a, a mindset thing than a physical. I mean, it's obviously a physical thing. I mean, you definitely can be more prone to put on body fat, but I feel like the, the way to mitigate it is much more of a mindset thing than a physical thing. And for me, the mindset that you need to have is just not treating the end of your cuts as a finish line. Like if you have this, oh, you're going to cross the finish line, you're going to be done there's nothing else looming. Let's just go off the rails. That's the worst thing you can do. Whereas if you don't have a finish line mentality and you just accept it as just another part of the day, then you can be able to not place this crazy, not put it on a pedestal and then therefore like not go off the rails when it's over. I mean, it just becomes part of your lifestyle. And then that makes it much more sustainable going forward. And you can strategically bring those calories back up and, and not feel like not, you're not going to be as prone to having that scarcity mentality. Yeah, because for me, like my goal is to get my metabolism as high as possible, you know, and then I might bulk again in the, in the wintertime. But for me, I, w- I want to get to a point where my metabolism is a nice, healthy place. And I feel like I did a lot of damage to it um, through long term dieting. I think that's just their consequence. I mean, all the studies show when someone goes on a long term diet, their metabolism slows down. But I don't think that's permanent. I think we can restore it, but it takes time. And I'm not. I'm not a, I'm not trying to be like a bodybuilder, so I don't need to worry about um, being lean all the time. And so I'm I'm focused more on long-term health. Um, so my goal is going to be to slowly get my metabolism back up, slowly add nutrition back in, so I'm at a healthy like home base, so to speak. And I think that's the key to anything. You know, I feel like one of the reasons why I have been successful so far is that I always viewed um, 
when I went into keto to lose weight as there being no end that it would take like lifetime work. Right. Because you can't like, I always viewed it like analogy. I always tell people it's like, it's like money. Like if you just, if you're poor and you win the lottery, but you don't change your habits, you're going to be poor again really quickly. You kind of have to change your habits. And if you're going to lose weight, you kind of have to do the same thing. You can't just say, Oh, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to grind for six months and then go back to my old lifestyle. Because if you go back to your old lifestyle, then you're going to go back to your old body. Totally agree. You kind of have to. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to catch you off there. I said totally agree. Yeah, and I was saying so. That's my approach here. Is I, I you know, I, I did this more, you know, with the DSK macros, slowly, slowly bringing my calories down. I'm committed to the long term process of, of slowly going back in the other direction. Because you know, I, I may have hit my goal weight and, and and lean again. Doesn't mean it's time to party. Yeah, you got you got to. You know, that's the, honestly the same thing that you hear. Any person that's successful with anything, any anything in life. I mean, there's there's a, a time and a place to, you know, tap the brakes a little bit, enjoy, be reflective of what you've just accomplished. But anybody that's going anywhere in life, they'll tell you, you got to get back on the horse and have that next goal and strive to get better the next day. With it, with anything. I mean, if you have this like just free for all moment, and you're just constantly living in something that you've done in the past, like this past accomplishment then you just stop growing. So always having something that you're pushing towards is, is key. Now it's important to be reflective and really embrace and accept and you know acknowledge what you've just accomplished, but don't let that past define you. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I feel like that's the thing that um a lot of people struggle with is you gotta have some sort of goal to give you to keep you motivated. you you can't just coast you know and finding something to motivate you that's healthy that's that's challenging totally i'm, I'm curious man there's one of the controversial like, maybe not controversial but one of the big things in the keto space and uh in, in just nutrition space as a whole is you know this whole concept of calories in calories out versus like a, just a hormone like a strictly hormonal uh patterning so a lot of the you know flexible dieters and, and calorie counters, they'll say calories is, is paramount. That's what it all matters. I mean, that's just what you have to change and manipulate to change your body composition. And a lot of people, especially in the keto low carb space, they're all about hormones. Like hormones is what makes and defines your composition. And I, I know what my take is on it, but I, I'm keen to get your take because you've, you've seen both ends of the spectrum. You've mm-hmm. gained a bunch of weight. You've lost a bunch of weight. What do you think about all that? So I feel like, um, I feel like both both calories and hormones matter, but I feel like a lot of people want to downplay how much calories matter because people say like, oh, you know, our bodies aren't, you know, calorimeters. We're not operating in some sort of closed system, um, you know, so we shouldn't have to track calories in order to lose weight. And I feel like maybe we don't have to count calories, but our body will count the calories for us. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I feel like I don't feel like the ketogenic diet is is magic. I think it's a really powerful tool. I think it's like for me the best possible tool for me to lose or you know manipulate my body weight. You can I feel like you can gain and lose weight eating just purely sugar if you wanted to. But would you feel good if eating 2,000 calories of sugar? Probably not. And I know from my personal experience now, having done it multiple different ways, I've tried losing weight, you know, with uh, you know, whole foods, non-ketogenic diet, and I felt miserable. You know, I've always felt hungry. I've lost weight um, just kind of keeping my carbs relatively low and did fine. 
And now I've done it where I'm focusing on, um, you know, hitting certain macronutrient ratios. And every time, um, I definitely had to focus on the quantity of the food, not just the quality. And, you know, I do kind of mostly a carnivore diet. I don't, I'm not just like, you know, someone who only eats beef, beef, salt, and water. Like I said earlier, I love my quest bars, right? But I kind of tend to gravitate more towards meat-based, right? With some, But every now and then I crave a salad or I want some vegetables. But the majority of my intake has been meat. And if you go on to like some of the, the carnivore communities, they say, oh, you can eat as much food as you want and you don't have to worry about tracking calories. But I... I if that were true, how would we put muscle on in size? When I went into my bulk, I did that with mostly eating a carnivorous approach. So I ate more and more food. And if it was all about hormones, in theory, I'd be keeping my insulin relatively low, right? Because I'm eating mostly fat, not a lot of carbs and protein, but I'm eating a surplus. And so if if all that matters is hormones, how would I add muscle to my body? Like, why would I put fat and muscle on if it was just about hormones, you know, and not calories? So my personal experience is that calories are going to control your body composition, but the hormonal approach is going to control how you feel and how your body performs and responds to those calories. If that makes sense. Like, I feel like if I were to wake up in the morning and have a bowl of, of, of sugary cereal, I'm going to be hungry within a couple hours. And so if I'm trying to like control my intake, that's a horrible approach. But if I wake up in the morning and have some eggs and bacon and a fatty coffee, I'm going to be full for hours and much be much more able to regulate my, my consumption of food. So that's my experience is that they both matter. And for me and many other people, the best approach is a diet that keeps our hormones regulated so that we're not always hungry. We're not always crashing with, you know, low, low energy. And for me, that's the ketogenic diet. Uh, I could not agree more, man. You put that very eloquently. There's, I, anytime you're dealing with with absolutes, there's just gonna be. <laughs> I mean, you can't deal in absolutes. Like the body no. is is such a complex system. There's no one way to change things. There's multiple ways of changing things, and we're all individuals. So it's what works really well for one is gonna be a little bit different than the other. And to think that that calories are the end all be all, and that you know, the the quality and the density and nutrient density of the food that you're consuming is irrelevant is just total ignorance. I mean, that's just, that doesn't even make sense. Like, how could you assume that that, that, that would make sense? Um, but on the same token, you know, to think that you can simply eat meat and nutrient-dense foods and give no thought whatsoever towards calories, that's also equally as ignorant because, I mean, your body, you have to manipulate and adjust and tweak your fuel intake to change how your body responds to that food, period. I mean, there is there is a lot of auto-regulation going on, like your body is an incredibly intelligent system, but yeah. to, to think that it's all one way or the other is just total ignorance. And I get, I mean, I'm just honestly confused sometimes because like you Ooh. have pretty intelligent people saying these things and it's just, you have to kind of scratch your head and look at them like, what are you talking about? Um, well, yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, we can get lost in the weeds you know, talking about this all day, but I mean, the way I approach it is, is that it depends on what you're trying to do in life, right? Totally. If you, if you, if you like it, you know, you have more extreme goals than the average person. And even, even I have more extreme goals than the average person. Right. But if I was like, if, if, I, if I had like a loved one or family member who was struggling with their weight and they came to me miles and said, Hey, you know, what should I do? I, I wouldn't tell them to count calories at first. I would say, focus on 
you know, eating more like ketogenic foods, like focus on your, your protein and your lean vegetables. Right. And that'll do a lot of the work for them because they'll probably eat less food. They'll probably be less hungry. But at some point, if they really wanted to lose a, like the last 15 pounds, they might have to dial it in. They might have to track their calories and macros much more closely. So if you want average results, maybe you can just you can approach it with like an average amount of effort. But if you want extreme results, you might have to put extreme effort in. I think that's a better way of thinking about it. 100%, man. That should be like tattooed somewhere or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, what's what's the next hike, man? I know you got a hike coming up sometime. You're you're hiking hiking machine. Yeah. So I just I kind of finished I just finished finished the main season with with a really with one of the most challenging hikes that I've ever done in my entire life. Um, it was called well, it's called Sourdough Mountain in the North Cascades here in Washington State. I, I did that. Uh, the hike was um, uh, just under 11 miles. Um, you know, five miles up and five miles down with with 5,000 feet of gain. And I did the whole thing fasted. I was challenged to do that by by Jonathan. Jonathan's like, do the hike fasted. Um, um, and by Jonathan, I mean Jay Shane. Um, and that was kind of like the the big challenge uh, for me for the season that I trained for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that now uh, it's we're getting into winter, so a lot of the high hikes are getting snowed in. So I'm probably not going to do any more um, big ones in the mountains. But next year I want to. Um, uh, increase my my elevation and mileage for the season you know what i mean like get more uh more volume in um and keep keep challenging myself to get to get kind of better at hiking because hiking is like not only is it physical fitness but it's like hiking fitness you're using different kind of muscles different kind of stamina than you do lifting weights or even running do you do you have like a pack on when you when you hike these distances yeah yeah i have um i have a osprey brand backpack that has like a camel back in it um so there's like a, a like a three liter bladder and then i have like the hiking essentials that you bring like knife you know fire materials Total flashlight paper. compass and bring some food i like it i like it um and how, how many miles did you say that sourdough hike was that that one was um just under 11 miles from car to car it was like five point something up and then back down and that's kind of like the kind of hike that's like a, a good solid day hike 10 miles um because you can do some longer backpacking hikes that are like 30 or 40 miles but my kind of hiking is the kind where you you start at like you know seven in the morning and you get to the top by noon and then you're back in your car by early afternoon and you kind of spend the whole day hiking i've got like so much more respect for you man after this hunt that i did in washington i was up in uh up in washington close to oregon and i was hiking for mule deer and I had like an eighty pound pack on me, and I was going up just freaking. I don't know what the degree elevate or what the degree uh, incline was, but it was it was pretty steep, and it was kicking my ass, man. I mean, I went into this thinking, okay, this is gonna be nothing. You know, I'm a pretty in shape guy. This is gonna be easy peasy. And let me tell you, man, I was hurting. I was hurting big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and it's, that's the thing. Like, uh, that's actually been one of the, the ways I've I've proven to myself that I've kind of given myself health and fitness is the hikes that I've been able to do. Like I'm not the fastest guy out there. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the best shape, but I used to be 465 pounds and now I can like solidly climb for hours at a time in the mountains. And that's like a testament to the work I put in and it's taken a long time to get there. Um, but I'm proud of that accomplishment and it, it is, it is really, really challenging, but you kind of, the more you do it, the better you get at it. That's the only way you can, you, you get better at anything. Right. And so I started out, 
I mean, I, I was thinking about this recently. Um, like I, I, I was looking at some old photos and I found a photo of me going on one of my first hikes and I'm not, I'm not wearing the right shoes. I don't have like the right gear. I'm like, you know, hundred pounds overweight and I've come a long way since then. But there's the thing is there, there is no finish line. I got to get better and better and better so I can climb higher and higher. Speaking of shoes, what do you recommend for hiking footwear? So, um, if you're, if you're, if you're like, you know, that's, that's kind of like asking like a hunter, like what's the best possible, like what do you recommend for hunting? Cause if you really, really like are invested, you can spend, you know, like 600 to $1,000 on some really custom made boots. Right. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a company called Limmer in Vermont or New Hampshire that makes like they made to measure hiking boots. They're the best there are, you know, they're like handcrafted leather and you can get them resold. That's, that seems like a lot of money, but that's how much, you know, really expensive shoes for anything would cost, like for cycling or like, you know, dress shoes. That's if like it's your passion, but you can get some really good shoes made from like Columbia for a couple hundred bucks that are waterproof or even less than that. So it's as long as you have good traction on your soles and you have the right ankle support, you don't need to spend too much money, but it's like anything in life. You, you get what you, what you pay for, you know? Totally. So is there like a, a general guideline as far as like it needs to be? at least this far up your ankle. I mean, cause I, when I was hiking, uh, I was stepping on all kinds of rocks and I had one of those, um, I was using a hunting shoe, but it was like the under armor fat tire shoe that has those boa, uh, you know, that boa tightening system where it's like the cables and you turn mm-hmm. the dial and that worked really well. But there were several times where it's like, if my, my boots were any looser, I'd have just roll my ankle and he'd be carrying me down this mountain. Yeah. You want, you want boots that, that fit tight, tight, um, not like tight, like causing blisters in your, your, your toe bed, but you want them tight, um, and relatively high around your ankles to give you ankle support. So you don't roll, um, and break your ankle when you're going down. Um, cause that, that's really key. It's like, there's lots of, um, steep can be steep ascents and like very, very slippery conditions on the trail. So you want something that gives you really good ankle support and is tight. I love it. I must say, man, I think you probably have earned the reward for, most epic pictures of keto bricks in, in <laughs> like really beautiful picturesque locations because every time you go to like the the summit of one of these mountains it's like you, you tag me in a picture of the keto brick and it's like that's pretty awesome man well yeah it's it's been one of my favorite hiking snacks because it's just it's i don't know like it, well they taste amazing you know and i um the mocha is my favorite but it's just the perfect ketogenic fuel for hiking you know it's it's a calorie bomb and there's nothing more rewarding than because I, I like to do my hikes fast at least to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get you know we we start them in the morning. Uh, I mean when I work out at the gym I always work out fasted just because I never I don't like the food in my stomach. I've always never really liked that. And so I I do the same thing for hiking and I, I'll get some water and some caffeine in me. But I, prefer, I like to start the trail with nothing in my stomach. And so you get to the top and you've been like, you know busting your butt for like four hours and you get to have a keto brick. And so I'm like well you know. I might as well take a good photo of this too, you know, and share it with Rob. <laughs> hey man, keep doing it. I love him. I love him. Well, shoot, brother. I love it. This whole podcast has been great. You got me in the mood to go hiking right now, and I'm super excited to see how you go through this uh, reverse diet at the end of this cut. So where can people go to find out more about you, follow along, see these epic pictures, and uh, just watch your journey, man? Well, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm Telecron on Instagram, and I'm pretty active. You know, I, I post a lot of my, my steak and my meat uh, photos. And then every now and then I, I post some of my hiking photos. Awesome. Awesome. Well, keep doing what you're doing, man. Your inspiration. And I love watching and see what you, what you got going on. Thanks, man. See you, brother.